WOKV Jacksonville. Listen live everywhere you go on ESPN690.com. ESPN690, a Cox Media Group station. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You know, we just got done talking a little bit about, I guess, the undrafted free agents getting put behind the eight ball a little bit. And to say that is an understatement, to say the least. And, you know, it, it begs the question now. I mean, when we're talking about coaches in the NFL, I mean, there is one goal, right? It's to try to build the best roster possible, get your team ready for week one, keep everybody healthy, and try to win a Super Bowl. To me, this is going to, and I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. To me, this is the year of all years to see what head coaches are made of. Because now we have to re- figure out, all right, how much, if you're in Jacksonville, how much time gets dedicated to week one, Philip Rivers, the Indianapolis Colts coming into Jacksonville, and how much time just gets dedicated to learning the defense, learning that new offense, making sure everyone's on the same page, and also seeing the talent that you have. Because keep in mind, it's going to be a shortened training camp now because guys don't even put pads on until like it seems like two and a half, three weeks. So I think every coach will bring something new to the table. Every coach is going to have his own philosophy. And obviously the teams that are successful, regardless of where they're ranked in the power rankings right now, the teams that are successful, to me, it's going to echo the, the, the successful coaches out there as well. Yeah, it's a lot on the coaches, man. And I wonder that. I mean, can you – I don't want to say outsmart. I don't want to say reinvent the wheel, but I have thought about this. Is there something in the Jags building that we're not seeing that they get to show off that we haven't been able to see, maybe because it's the lack of the roster or a quarterback play or holding penalties? I don't know what it is. But my curiosity is what's going to show – and what's going to be exposed, either good or bad, this football season, based on the circumstances? And I think you either you have two ways to go with that. You're either in a good spot with that, and, and it might unveil something that we didn't see before, or you're going to be exposed in a bad way, too, and your weaknesses could get really exposed. And when you're exposed at the professional level, it's uh-oh time. Well, and it makes you wonder, from, from a coaching philosophy is who's going to be more successful? Are we talking like the Kingsbury new school approach where you have the breaks to go on your cell phone and you get Capri Suns and you kind of take it easy on everybody? Or are we talking about the Bill Belichick, Harbaugh kind of the old school way where, listen, you put these, brush these guys into the ground, pressure bursts pipes or pressure creates diamonds and you see what you have from there. So I'm interested to see which coaching philosophy will remain king this year uh, in the upcoming season. Yeah, it's uh, going to be very interesting uh, to see how it all shakes out. We're going to talk a little more about the Jags' defense. Also, you brought up a good point today. No preseason games, all the craziness. What position group suffers the most? What what position group is exposed the most on offense and on defense? Some Jags topics coming up uh, in just a little bit. Uh I do want to let you know the latest on the high school fall sports. So if you have kids, uh, if you're a fan of high school sports, if you are a kid, uh, this just coming in, Columbia County, St. John's County, break. 
but they are pushing back fall practice until August 17th in St. John's County and in Columbia County. Duval has not made a decision yet. Others will make a decision, I think, over the next uh, 48 hours or so. There's another board meeting with the FHSAA, although I don't really know if that even matters anymore because they put it in the local folks' hands, and here we are with decisions, uh, you know, less than 36 hours later. But what's happening with that, let's just take football, okay? It's the easiest one to dissect. Instead of starting on July 27th, down in St. John's County, they pushed school back three weeks. Well, now they're pushing fall practice to August 17th. That's when they'll start. They cannot have any competitions, no contests prior to school starting on August 31st, which means they'll lose the kickoff classic week one and week two. Mm-hmm. It's also my understanding in talking to some folks just in the last few minutes that they will try to make up some of those if they can. They might have the opportunity to make up those first two weeks somewhere down the road, whether it's on a Monday, a Tuesday, or after the season, uh, when the regular season runs out. I would say similar to how people have dealt with hurricanes and games being rained out and, and stormed out on Friday nights, which we've seen plenty of really in the last three or four years on the high school scene. So that is the latest coming out of St. John's County. Uh, and Columbia County, they are pushing back until August 17th on fall practice. Makes a lot of sense, kind of goes along with what they're doing with the school system, at least in St. John's County. And we wait on Duval to get the latest. One thing that will be problematic and one thing that the folks in St. John's County and even Columbia County are waiting on is a lot of the schedule is made up of Duval County schools or other county schools. I shouldn't say a lot, but some. And so now they have to wait and see what they're going to do and how their schedule might get impacted. Again, the best thing that could happen around here, we've had this discussion last couple of days, is that everybody goes in lockstep and then it's easier to reschedule and fall in line and and see uh, what what your neighboring county is doing and work hand in hand. If everybody's disjointed here in northeast Florida schedule wise, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar kind of calendar in Duval, Nassau, other places. It might not be exactly the same, but I would think it would be similar. And uh, I said it on Monday. I said it on Tuesday when we talked about the FHSA board. In high school sports, I don't think we're done with this. Although they allowed the calendar to stick from Monday to open practices, I never thought we were really getting there, and I don't think we are getting there, and we're definitely not getting there in St. John's County and Columbia County. So that's the latest uh, coming up here at 4 o'clock here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. That news just coming in. How about that? How about that, man? That kind of stinks in a way if you're a high school kid, and now you just got to hit the weights and the conditioning and all that stuff and be ready to go. The good news is I I think – We're still eyeing a season. Mm -hmm. That's the good news. They haven't said, okay, it's off in the spring or we're not doing it. We're still eyeing a season. Just got to wait a couple weeks. And right now, that's probably the best remedy to say, all right, let's give it a couple weeks and see where everything's at. And at least we're making an effort. Again, just from an optic point of view, at least we're making an effort, even though we really, 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 really want to play. Yeah, I just, listen, I, I can't imagine what these high school athletes are going through right now, though, Brent, right? Because even when I was in, like, Pop Warner and there was a, the uncertainty whether it was going to be, like, a rained-out Saturday game, I was like, are we going to play or not? Like, I was stressing out, and I was in fourth grade. And then even during the NFL lockout my second year, you know, there was a little bit of stress thinking, like, all right, are we going to start on time? What's the preparation going to be like? So I can't even imagine right now being these high school kids having to go to the, the weight room everything like that in preparation of hoping there's going to be a season. Because to me, the uncertainty, the unknown, that is the big, biggest stress factor right now of an athlete, whether you're in high school 
or you're professional. There is a mental clock to everything, and the baseball mental clock has been thrown off big time here in 2020 as well. A guy that knows all about that Major League Baseball, college baseball calendar joins us right now on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Just hired on Chris Hayes' staff over for the JU Dolphins, Brad Wilkerson, former big leaguer, former Florida Gator, joins us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brad, you're with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Hey, how excited are you for baseball to start up tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I just hope we get there. I keep telling myself, I don't know how we're going to get there, but it looks like we're going to get there and a little ball played. I think the bats are going to sound a little bit louder with no fans in the stands or get some echoing and stuff like that. So hopefully the guys clean their mouths up and do a good job. <laughs> Absolutely, though. Man, we can't wait. I'm excited about a big baseball guy, so that's a little bit a part of it, but we'll be waiting for it. Hey, how did this all happen? Uh, Chris Hayes, one of the good guys, obviously a, a JU Dolphin through and through, a Jacksonville guy through and through. Uh, he's one of our favorites, and uh, here you are on his staff now. Uh, have you known Chris for a while? How did this all come about? Well, when I got into, a friend of mine got me into travel baseball in 2014, and after about four years of not doing much after I retired and got into a travel baseball program, and then I started coaching high school where my kids go to school and just really enjoyed the coaching process and really enjoyed coaching. And I always said, I, I want to go coach at the college level. It's always been a goal of mine or the professional level. And, you know, getting to know Chris throughout the recruiting process, process to some of our players, just growing that relationship. And then when this job opened this year, I sent him a text that, hey, I'd be interested in talking about this this job. And uh, it took a little bit longer than I wanted it to, but I'm here at JU, and I'm very excited about getting this program continuing success. That's awesome. Brad Wilkerson with us here at Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Just joined this uh, last week. Chris Hayes' staff at uh, JU. Chris has been doing a great job with the JU baseball program. And how much do you like Chris's style uh, in terms of there's a grittiness about Chris, and he, and he likes to find those guys, and he's, by the way, finding a lot of those guys right here in the Jacksonville area. Is there something to that uh, that maybe also uh, allowed you to be attracted to this position? Well, definitely. I mean, you see, you seek out people that you want to work for or people you want to work with and how they do things. And I think his style and the type of player he's looking for is very similar to the type of player that I want to coach. And being in the Jacksonville area and getting the recruits and working our way out, it's been awesome. And it's going to continue that way. He's done a great job of forming those relationships within Jacksonville. And hopefully I can bring the table a little bit more. Hey, Coach, I've always said, you know, playing, you know, college football and everything that you know the, the transition from college football to coaching to the nfl it's night and day because you go from kind of shaping young minds in college to all of a sudden deal with a bunch of grown men and your style has to change a little bit you spend some time in the majors obviously you've been around major league coaches is there a big difference between how major league coaches go about their business coaching as opposed to college coaches i think so i mean i think there's definitely you know it's more individualized once you get to the professional level and even the major league level it's more individualized it seems like we're trying to grow these uh young boys into young men pretty quickly and we got to have a good balance and i think that's what chris he's been very successful at doing that and that's why i think when his guys get into pro ball they seem to go up pretty quick and they've been successful because he treats them not only with a little bit of respect along the way, but he's teaching them and he's grinding on them a little bit too to get them prepared for that level. 
Brad Wilkerson with us, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Brent Mortner and Austin Lane here on a Wednesday as Brad joins Chris Haystaff at uh, JU, uh, building a great baseball program over there in Arlington. Brad Wilkerson has uh, one of the, the best resumes you'll see. Who are you I mean, telling? you're talking about a highlight real resume, so block your ears. I know you've heard it before. I'm going to embarrass you for a minute here, Brad. But 96-98 Florida Gators College World Series teams. College Baseball Hall of Famer. 98 first rounder for the Montreal Expos. Beat FSU, by the way, in the college days in Omaha with a grand slam in 96. Sydney Olympics and beat Cuba, which was a big stunner at the time. 2003 hit for the natural cycle for the Expos. The natural cycle, by the way, is getting that single, then getting the double, then oh, yeah. getting the triple, then getting the home run. Last Last home run in Expos history, made the transition to the Nationals as well. My goodness, I say you live life to tell stories on the front porch to your grandkids. Which one are you going to pick? I'm just I was blessed in my baseball career and on my journey and being able to have that opportunity to play in so many different events and major events. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with timing. I mean, the whole Olympic thing came about. They decided to take minor leaguers. I was, like, getting ready to make it to the big leagues, but I wasn't there yet, so I had that opportunity to go to the Olympics. It's just it's a lot about timing and a lot about opportunity and a lot about seizing that opportunity, and I'm just thankful that I got all all those opportunities. I I love baseball so much, so I got got to ask you this. Take us inside the cycle thing on the last at-bat. I mean, were you thinking home run? Uh, I mean, were you like, I'm swinging for it? What was that like? Well, the funny thing, the funny thing, it was a day game, the first one I did, um, in Montreal, I wasn't feeling that great that day. We didn't take BP. I was a little tight. I'm leading off the game. I look down to third base and I'm like, "Oh, that guy's behind the bag pretty far. Let's just lay down a bunt here." <laughs> so the first, one, the first one was a bunt, and I literally the guy walked up and looked at me, and I just kind of walked into first base. That's how easy it was. <laughs> and then going to that last at bat, all I told myself, I said, "Just try to hit the ball as far as you can over the center field fence." <laughs> and he threw me a pitch. It was it was actually a really good pitch. It was kind of sinking away. It was a little above the knees on the outer half of the plate, and I hit it about 420 feet dead center. <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those days. I mean, obviously, you don't plan on hitting a cycle. You just go out there and do it, and uh, it was fun. One of the hardest things to do in baseball, hit the cycle, and then the natural cycle on top of that. That's really cool, and I love for all my launch angle guys out there that it started with a bunt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, but, hey, what was it like playing in Montreal? Do you miss Montreal baseball? I do. I, I think uh, being there for five seasons, parts of five seasons, and seeing, you know, the fans didn't turn out all the time, but when they did turn out, it was awesome. It was a very loud crowd. I mean, Olympic Stadium being a dome. I mean, when we got 30,000 in there, it was deafening, and it held like 60. Wow. So it, it, it was just a deafening place to be a part of, and, when we were in the wild card and the playoff hunt in 03, it was it was very exciting to be there. So, and that's kind of my question. And Brent, you don't let me stereotyping people here, but let's be honest. In terms of Canada, you think of hockey you right do. now. You're talking about the the Toronto Blue Jays being forced to play in Pittsburgh now, while they're still going to host the NHL playoffs in Canada. Yeah. How does that work? So, well, they're not going to go to Pittsburgh, by the way. That's a oh, new that, information, oh, and probably going to end up news. in Baltimore. Yeah. Breaking news. Pittsburgh's okay. not going to allow them there. Oh, Pennsylvania is. Breaking news. Okay, sounds great. But uh, coach, you know, my question to you is so. What was it like? I mean, what, what was the experience like, you know, living in Canada not only, but also playing in Canada, interacting with that fan base? You had some pretty good years there. I mean, did you feel loved in Montreal compared to some other places and other some, you know, some other places in ballparks and things like that? 
A hundred percent. I yeah. think toward the end of the last couple of years in Montreal and the fans hoping that the team would stay, but knowing that probably not going to stay, you know, it was great. I mean, I got to know a lot of people, you know, being there parts of five seasons and have some great friends still there today. And I still go up and do some charity functions up in Montreal and, you know, it, it's just it, it's disheartening to see a team not in Montreal because it's a great city, very like diverse. The culture is so much different. It's more like a European type city, I would say. Mm. And it's just you know the French Canadians and they they love their beer. <laughs> like, I mean, the Labatt and the Labatt and all that stuff. They love their beer, so um, they're very laid back. And it was a great place to play and be a part of. That's awesome. Uh, hey, you you know what Florida baseball has been able to do? Uh, now that you're at JU, we saw Coastal Carolina uh, a few years back and what they were able to do, which is a really cool story. Uh, I think the JU baseballs of the world can get there. Uh, I know it's a long road. I know it's unlikely. Do you think? Uh, a guy like Chris Hayes and, and that program can contend on the national level and, and I don't know if it's winning it all, but make an appearance in, in Omaha or, or pull something off like that. I wouldn't be a part of it or if I didn't think that could happen. I mean, obviously a lot of things got to happen along the way and a lot of breaks got to happen, but I feel like there's a lot of great baseball players out there. There's a lot of kids that want to come to JU and play and the development system that Coach Hayes has put together and the other coaches, uh, Coach Edwards and myself, we're going to put together, we're going to have that opportunity. I feel like we're going to play for a lot of rings, and I think it first starts with winning our conference each and every year and building off of that. Very good. Brad Wilkerson with us, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. New assistant coach for Chris Hayes and the JU Baseball Program. Hey, good luck, man. Have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'll tell you this. He's got some really good players coming in already. Uh, we're around the travel ball scene, and we know some of those players here locally that are, that are already committed to JU. So you guys have some good ones. Uh, keep building on it, and good luck. I appreciate it, guys. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. We appreciate the time. Brad Wilkerson. You know, I wonder, from a recruiting standpoint, like he's, he's an awfully nice guy, humble guy, I'm sure. But, like, from a recruiting standpoint, how don't you walk in, like, with, with a shirt that says the resume that I oh, read? you know like, what? Like, be like, hey, I, yeah, look what I've done. Yeah. Don't you want a little of no, this? No, no, no. Look at that. I'm, I'm going to sit down at the table with the family, with, the, you know, the, the obvious the prospect, and be like, hey, go ahead and Google me real quick, and then let's get back to the conversation. Oh, do you, you had a question? Go ahead and Google me and see where I come from. That's what I would do, man. No, we get the resume. Just wear a shirt that says Google, Google me. Google me. That's Just awesome. That says Google me. Hey, you got that Dude. haze? That's not a bad idea. Get that shirt made, Chris That's not a bad idea. Google me. I like that. I think we might have something there. Jake baseball. Let's go, and tra- let's go ahead and trademark that real quick, Brent, huh? Look, look for Orange Cassidy to be wearing that on now the next AEW. About, now we're talking uh, that's about That's awesome. I really like the idea of that. I mean, it is incredible. I seriously believe, like, uh, you, you do, you live life to tell stories, you know, and someday, what are you going to say? I hope I live long enough to be able to tell some stories here or there. Yeah. I mean, what an awesome set of stories to yeah. tell. I mean, even, and I didn't even ask him much about it. We'll have him on again, hopefully Brad Wilkerson. We appreciate him jumping on. Uh, but the transition to the Nationals had to be a wild thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole move had to be unbelievable with leaving the Expo. He was a part of that. Yep. So... Uh, it's 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 a fascinating resume for Brad Wilkerson, and, and it goes all the way back for you young Gator fans. I mean, go look him up from the 1996 and 98 Gator team, what he did in college baseball. And by the way, he was a, I didn't even mention this. He was a two-way player, so he was a pitcher and hitter. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but obviously made it in the big leagues as a hitter. Listen, in terms of his resume, Brent, we kind of went over it a little bit, and you're a big baseball guy. What about that resume sticks out to you the most? Like, wh- what are you most impressed by, by <laughs> his laundry list of accomplishments? Yeah, I would say uh, this will be a very underrated one because I just don't – it depends how you feel about it. But – I think it actually showcased something that he brought up, the Olympics, mm-hmm. the Sydney Olympics. And to me, as a kid growing up, I always thought – now, I thought like, – because I was swimming and stuff. So I was like, oh, it would be awesome to go to the Olympics and swimming. Of course. But I, the Olympics were huge when I was a kid. They've actually – in my mind and, and how much I watch them, they've faded. Uh, if mm-hmm. I'm being completely honest, uh, it, I still enjoy it, but not near as much as I did. Yeah. So I think that Sydney Olympics and how monumental that was for baseball in the United States to beat Cuba at that time, for that team to do that, as I remember it and, if, and read about it, that, that might be, I mean, underrated on the list. And probably even for, for Brad, it sounded like a pretty significant moment out of all these things, mm-hmm. uh, which he's had plenty of significant moments. So I would probably say that, you know, playing for your country, That's kind uh, of what a huge win too. over Cuba. Yeah. But you got to remember now. When I would love to know, I, I, I'll have to look this up, but hitting the cycle in, in baseball is one of the rarest feats. It seems like it's happening a lot more lately. Well, yeah, because you have Christian Yelich in the league, Brent. <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, when you do it like twice in two weeks, what do you want? But when he did it in 2003, I'd have to go back and look this up. I wonder how many had done, like yeah. the list from three, 2003 to 2020, I bet it's almost doubled. It feels like it's it's happening way more. And then on top of that, the natural cycle, mm-hmm. and I love the Which story about the bun. Uh, and then yeah. swinging for the downs on the last one to try to get it. Because yeah. how many times do you really swing? Most guys that hit home runs, they don't say, I tried to hit home runs. Correct. They say, I tried to hit the ball hard, and bam, it left the park. Yeah, and usually we try to hit it hard, you miss, and then people talk about it when they're announcing. Oh, he tried to hit that one out of the park. Great addition for uh, Chris Hayes over at Jacksonville University, and um, he continues to do a really good job. Trust me, I, I, again, we know a lot of the guys now who are in that you know, a couple years older than the kids, yeah. and we've seen these kids play. They're good, really good talent going to JU, and he's scooping up a lot of the local talent uh, over there in Arlington. Chris Hayes is one of the good guys and is really doing a great job uh, with that program. Baseball on the verge of starting tomorrow. You, you're you're a, a quiet – it was one of the most impressive things for Austin <laughs> – is I didn't think like I knew golf we weren't going to get anything out. Of you. <laughs> you got nothing out of me. Right? Sorry, when man. Show, but when last year we start talking a little baseball, yeah, all of a sudden a little passion coming through. Of course, man. A little knowledge coming through on the baseball diamond. I so try. I get the sense that you're you're kind of looking forward to this. I'm gonna have to rearrange my schedule tomorrow to check out that Milwaukee Brewers game against the Cubs. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I'm I'm all in. Um, I can't wait. Uh. And listen, we're gonna give our predictions tomorrow a little bit, yeah, so we'll I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna say anything right now. I'm not gonna give it away, but let's just say I'm very excited from a baseball fan's perspective, especially for a Milwaukee's fan's yeah. perspective. Yeah, uh, I, I bet, and you should be. Yeah, uh, a lot of talent there. Yep. I I'm excited about baseball. Yeah, I, I really am. Like, and by the way, to all you folks that said, "Oh, the bickering going back and forth, it's gonna ruin the game." It's like. So that was me. Where are we at? <laughs> now let's see. If if nobody watches and the ratings are down, come on. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Two yeah. weeks didn't matter. Three weeks didn't matter as long as they played. Now, it wouldn't have hurt. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have hurt to have baseball the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. But what I told you back then, and I still believe, it's how you market it. Can the NFL, Major League Baseball, market themselves better? Will they market their stars? And by the way, they're doing a good job of it. My kids are watching. They're, I'm telling you, my kid, Kaylee, she is. every time I, I look at her, she's watching a game yeah. on the computer or or on TV, these summer camp games, 
And so on MLB Network, they have the promo for the season starting on the 23rd, 24th. Mm-hmm. And so the kids will be like, hey, that's so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. So they're naming off all the young stars. It's a smart move by MLB. They're really marketing the stars. I mean, the yep. Trouts and Harpers are in there, mm-hmm. but so are some of the young, the Fernando Tatis and others. Uh, and I think there will be more of that. If Major League Baseball can market this crop of young players to go along with Trout and Harper and the rest, Mookie Betts in that as well, Yeah. then we're on to something. But playing two weeks earlier than tomorrow's date wasn't saving baseball, was my point. And it also wasn't ruining baseball, pushing it to the 23rd. Mm-hmm. As long as they got it done, we're playing ball. I'm excited about it. And I think actually the numbers and ratings for at least the first week of baseball are going to be off the charts good. And listen, in terms of storylines, we can go all day. But to me, it's been the storyline I talked about with Jason Fitz, and it's still the storyline for I think that their first game is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be on Friday, the Houston Astros. Okay, Because yeah. if, you've, if you've been watching the... <laughs> <laughs> exhibition games, Kansas City said, ah, you know, it's, it's, it's a little humid out here. A little Those slick. were not intentional. Yeah. Oh, are you sure about I that? I didn't think so. All three of them? I didn't All think so. All three of them weren't intentional, Brent? Did you see the one, though? He slipped. Yeah. Like, really Did I brother? see him? Did I <laughs> but see like, him? I didn't think the Altuve one was even close to intentional. I'm just saying, three batters from Houston got beamed, okay? Yeah. I think it was a back-to-back in there, too. Yep. I'm pretty sure. You better believe it. But, but maybe it wasn't intentional. But all I'm going to say is once the season starts, and I get it, the crowd's not going to be there, so it takes away from kind of that prestige a little bit, kind of that environment. But still, man, I don't think these players have forgotten at all, regardless of how long they've been on a break. And I'm curious to see um, how many be- how, how many batters will get beaten by the Seattle Mariners when they take on the Astros on Friday. It'll be interesting. I think, I think at some point they will. I'm just not sure at the outset. I don't think people are going to be willing to give up bases and give up runs and give up games. They're going to want to play it out. Now, if you stink 20 games in, Mm -hmm. then maybe you might do a little bit more of that. I don't Mm -hmm. know. We'll see if we'll see it. Uh, To me, honestly, without you bringing up, it's a little bit of a forgotten storyline for Mm -hmm. me. Um, and maybe hidden amongst the excitement. I, I know it's not going away. I just don't know if that storyline is going to be as prominent given the 60-game season, but we'll find out. Yeah. It's certainly one of the things to watch uh, here in the 2020 baseball season that will get going. Hey, I do want to give you an update. I uh, did uh, call the Jags and ask the Jags if I could uh, buy my cutout in, in a seat. <laughs> and? I'm still awaiting okay. my spots. Well, while you're at it, get, get in there. Let's do the COVID-19 testing breakdowns for each so, player. Come on. You're, you're talking about the cutouts. Uh, yesterday, I'm hanging out with a buddy of mine at the bar and um, we're watching the uh, Rangers game and the Texas Rangers uh, doppelranger is $50 per game. Is that what it is? It's 50 bucks a game for well, a shoot, shutout. I'm going to buy it in Texas and <laughs> put it there. <laughs> Just buy ESPN 691s all over the country? <laughs> Branding anybody? Whoever's Bring doing it. off. I just don't understand why you wouldn't do it. You got to do it. Maybe uh, they won't do it. Yeah. When the ticket package comes out for the Jags, for the 17,000 fans, I want an option to buy a seat for a cutout. I don't know if that's much to ask. I'll even buy a soda again. Let me just get this straight, though. That's another 50 bucks a pop. (laughs) So (laughs) let me get this straight real quick, though, Brent. Is the passion coming from the fact that you might end up on TV and you say, hey, there's my cutout, or is the passion come from... Just knowing, not necessarily getting on TV, but just knowing that someplace in that stadium, your cutout is there amongst the other cutouts. You are confusing passion and ego to a degree. No, 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 you misunderstood. I'm trying it's to be nice. It's not that his cutout was there amongst the other cutouts. Yeah. It's that the other cutouts were there 
with his. Absolutely. Ah, I got you. No, but I just, I think it should happen. Like, I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. I, I mean, a little of it's my ego, but. <laughs> Apparently. But, but no, but I really think, like, the reason I bring this up is because I think people like Barstool and Deadspin and, and Twitter make fun of that stuff and it'll be like, I can't believe you're doing that. That's so, like, minor league. I, I think you'd be wrong not to do it. Hmm. I don't. I, I think it, it's. A, I don't think it's minor. I don't. And, and if even it's if minor it, league, even whatever, if it is so minor what? league, it's fun. You're putting fun. fun back in the game. Exactly. It's fun, by the way, and it's it potentially is dollars. Be honest. Do you have some kind of stock in a cardboard company right now or something? Is that what this is about? <laughs> what's uh, What's the name? What's the one they stick? The Fatheads. The Fatheads. Yes. Yeah. You got stock in Fatheads right now. <laughs> yeah. That's going back. I think Alan Robinson's bit. sister used to work for Fatheads. Okay. Uh, I think it was. Okay. Uh, so maybe that's it. That, okay. That's the connection back in my mind. I got you. Uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's some kind of play here that I'm not seeing. Okay. I don't know. What's You're, the stock doing? You're the one that keeps control of that. <laughs> you know how I do. I don't worry about Fathead, but I can check it out real quick for you. Uh, all right, let's take a break. When we come back. Uh, we talk about the Jags defense. Yesterday we did offense. Mm-hmm. We just do a brief overview of the defense. I'm not going to dissect the 4-3, four, 3-4, three, three, four, us hybrid, whatever. Because I can't. I don't know what, what they're doing. Simply put, I thought I think the Jags offense is underrated. I think at a 23 and a half points per game, I'm going over and they're going to surprise people on offense. I'm not sure I'm as high on the defense. The defense has some issues. The strength of their defense is something that maybe hasn't happened in franchise history or at least in a long time at the position breakdown. We'll give it to you and some thoughts on the defense coming up on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30. Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. We're looking up numbers on the cycle. Brad Wilkerson, who joined us earlier in the show, had the natural cycle. That's a single, then a double, then a triple, then a home run for the Expos. Actually hit two, right? S- cycles. Yeah, he hit two cycles. But then, uh, oh, okay, I see. This is um, MLB players with two cycles in the same season. That's Yelich. That's your guy. There he is. Uh, MLB players with three cycles in their career, only four of them, by the way. Four. That's it. Adrian Beltre, one of them. How about that? Uh, what I'm trying... Oh, here we go. Natural cycles. 14 players have had natural cycles. 14 times. That's it. And the last one to do it? Gary Matthews Jr. Brad Wilkerson, second to last, uh, is what I have. How about that? There actually has been uh, 10 reverse Natural cycles. <laughs> Home run, triple, <laughs> double, single. I would actually think that could be more common. But, I mean, in that case, isn't the player giving you diminished returns? That's that's not really your <laughs> diminished best. Diminished returns. <laughs> that's not really your best marketing tip right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't it's Google it. him. <laughs> Come on, man. Not how you start, it's how you finish, Brent. That is pretty cool, though. 14, like 330 cycles, by the way, in Major League Baseball history. Wilkerson has two of them. Yeah. And he's got one of 14 natural cycles. That's awesome. That's rare air, man. Yeah, really cool. Rare air. Once again, it is a chance thing. Well, but really cool. Once again, if you're recruiting people, good, good to know. Let's get on that T-shirt. Him. Google, Google me. me. Yep, Google me. Hey, the other, you know what's uh, pretty wild too is uh, I love I, this used to happen to us all the time. I don't know if this happened to you playing. 
But like he mentioned, he said he feel, felt it was a day game, didn't feel great. He's kind of like, hey, I'm just gonna get on base somehow. I'm not, I didn't hit well, you know, warm up well, all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you just notice it, or if it happens more than not. But you know. Like in high school, this happened a lot. Sometimes even in college, you take an infield mm-hmm. before a game. So basically, you know, they hit ground balls to the third baseman, throws over to first, then to the outfield, all this stuff. Maybe even some might mix in a double play there or whatever. But yeah, it takes 10 minutes. You do a little infield before the game get loose. The games, the, the days where our infield looked like we were a bunch of six-year-olds playing ball <laughs> and you couldn't field anything, mm-hmm. we, we won like three to nothing. Yeah. And played excellent defense. Mm. It just felt like that all the time. Yeah. And so it's interesting to hear Wilkerson say that story where he didn't feel that good. And that day he ends up hitting for the natural cycle. Sure. One of 14 to ever do it yeah. in Major League Baseball. And I think there's a lot of stories like that in sports. Yep. Do you, ever since that, like whether it's college, high school, whatever, where it's like, hey, I had this monster game and didn't even feel good. Or did you always feel like there was some extra juice in you? Well, uh, so it's funny, right? Figuratively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Figuratively, of course, speaking. <laughs> it's funny because obviously in any professional athletic sport, but especially in football, we're creatures of habit, right? So usually our pregame routines um, are the same throughout the season. So like you kind of have a good gauge of, all right, well, I feel good doing this drill. I feel good. I feel better than last week doing this drill. And to go along with your point here, I do remember some games where like everything was clicking and like, you know, when we're doing like, you know, like kind of that team period or whatever, and it's not obviously 100%, but, you know, guys are fired up. You're not breathing so hard for some reason. Like you have the cardio for days and like you just feel good. Some of those games were the games that we got absolutely crushed and, and embarrassed. And then there's other times when we seem kind of lackadaisical. We got Joel Cullen yelling at us through individual drills and like people are ready to fight each other. But also we come out that first drive and we're dominant. You know, so it, it is it is crazy how sometimes you think like, dude, we feel great. We look great. Practice the whole week went fantastic. This is our breakout game right here. And I'll never forget, man. This is uh, this was the playoff. So this was when we played the Colts my rookie year. OK, okay? and keep in mind, I'm starting at the time, right? This is the late in the year, big game, late in the year, big game. And we remember what happened against Indianapolis. Peyton Manning kind of tore us apart. It is what it is. But I'll never forget. I remember Which time was that? I know, I know man. I, who are you telling? Who are you telling? And when I see him at the training camp, I can't even say what's up to him because I'm so embarrassed because he tore me apart so many times. Saw him last year. I said what's up to him. He ignored me. Did he really? Yeah. That's a bummer. I tried to get my son to go play with his son. Wasn't happening. <laughs> Anyways, my son was too distracted by Juwan Taylor, of all people. Offensive tackle. Another story. Another day. Getting back to the point at hand, though. I'll never forget. So... It's a big game, Brent, right? So we're doing, like, extra studying. We're in the hotel. We're in Indianapolis. We're getting ready to go. And I'll never forget, as we got up out of our defensive line meeting, and I'm the last one to leave, I sit back down. Joe Collins, still by the projector, still watching film because the guy's an absolute workaholic. He's a psycho. He's still going over the plays, <laughs> going over the play calls and everything. And I'll never forget, I go up to the coach. I'm like, coach, you know, I'm thinking about this here, man. And I'm watching this game plan, and I'm watching the film, the study of Peyton Manning. And I'll never forget what I said to him. I'm like, there's no way they can beat us. There's no way that they're going to come out and beat us. Um, and I'm like, dude, I was serious. I'm like, coach, how are they going to beat us? And Joe Cohen was like, awesome, I know. I know, I, I've been preaching all week. There's no way they're going to come beat us. So, like, I, I felt that confident. He felt that confident. Like, you know, I think Jack the Real speech before the game was like, I mean, dude, we were, we were going to the playoffs. Because, <laughs> like, there was no way 
for whatever reason, I had it in my mind, and everyone had it in their mind, that one of the best quarterbacks of all time wasn't going to do the best quarterback of all time kind of things and beat us. For whatever reason, I'm just like, Coach, there's no way. I'm, I'm watching film right now. Their offensive line, guys are nicked up. They can't stop us. How are they going to stop us? They can't do it. Well, then, second quarter, and I'm sucking wind, 12-play drive. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I was wrong. My bad. Take me out. I can't breathe. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. You know, you lost that game. 34 yeah. to 24. Yeah. It was a three-point game in the fourth when you guys scored. No thanks to the defense, though. And then, well, I guess you scored within two minutes, and then it was an onside kick. Yeah. So it was 27-17. You get to 27-24 with a Mike Sims-Walker touchdown from Garrard, and then it looked like an onside. I don't remember that play. Was it? It says Taiwan Hagler, 41-yard kickoff return. Why don't I remember that? Do you remember that? Do you I remember, remember that. You must have returned an onside kick. I guess so. Yeah, I don't that's, know that's that. the only way you can have a 41-yard return, sure. right? So I just I don't remember that. Yeah. But uh, I will say this. You guys did an, like an okay job on Peyton. It wasn't like it was 400-yard game. It was 29-39 no, for 229 and two touchdowns. You sacked them once. I mean, 29-39, 229, yeah. that's somewhat but, respectable. But they still put up some points. Like, see, we they were did, under the standpoint. But 27 points against Indianapolis yeah. at that time wasn't, like, the worst thing ever. But, like, I'll, I'll be honest, though, man. Like, even through that third quarter, we were a little shell-shocked. Because, honestly, like, the way we felt that game, Brent, we felt like we were going to come in there and dominate, like, day one. You know, like, it wasn't even going to be a, a close competition for some reason. And, granted, like, yeah, he didn't have his best game against us. But I still I remember that game very vividly because obviously it was a chance to go to the playoffs. I still feel like our defense lost us the game. Well, you did get the problem with you guys is you couldn't stop the run. Yeah. And Donald Brown had 129 yards on 14 carries. There's a trivia question for everybody. And he had a 43-yard touchdown plus a 49 long, so he had two big runs. What was my specialty? Stopping the run? Yes. (laughs) Austin Lane in that game. Four tackles. There we go. And a tackle for loss. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Nice playing in that game. Thanks. And I, big fella. And I also got a big shout out on TV because that was a game Austin Collie got hurt. And you saw me on the sidelines praying and almost in tears because it felt so bad for Austin Collie. Yeah, you bring up that story a lot, too. I it's mean, a, it's a, it was a bummer one, man. Yep. So you guys didn't. I, I thought you got blitzed that game. I, I wouldn't really say you got blitzed. Did Dallas Clark have a touchdown that game? Or not? Uh, I mean, since we're going into stats right now. No, Austin Collie actually had two touchdowns. Oh, okay. Collie had two touchdowns that game. Gotcha. Mike Thomas, by the way, delivered a 78-yard punt return that game. There you go. Adam Venateri with a few field goals. Sims Walker with a couple of touchdown catches. Ah, those glory days, Brent. DG playing that game. DJ, you know what? Not terrible. 24-38, 294. Two touchdowns. Did have a pick. I don't know where it was. I can't remember. Um... I was here, but I don't remember that far back, I guess. But he played pretty well. I mean, he kind of went toe-to-toe in that game statistically with, mm-hmm. with Peyton. Uh, but, hey, Mojo, <clears throat> 15 carries, 46 yards. There you go. They shut him down. Yeah. Well, you, and you guys couldn't shut down. And we down couldn't shut, hey, well, what do I always say, Brent? You run the football, you stop the run, you got a chance to win. That's Once it. again, I'm, I'm not going... It's all up to the big fellas. All up to the big fellas. Win, uh, win and lose in the trenches. Good to go back and see that game. Or not so good. I don't remember which one. But, uh, hey, let's talk about defense. The it's Jaguars defense. Mm-hmm. So we did this little offensive thing. We're going to break down the defense just kind of in like five minutes. Okay. They've lost a lot. Everybody that talks defense for the Jacksonville Jaguars wants to bring up 2017. Mm-hmm. I want to say this about that. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. defenses don't stay the same for four years. People come and go. Mm-hmm. Well, 
there's a recycle part of this defense going on right now. A refresh, a reload, hopefully, if you will. Some of the big boppers from that defense are gone. This defense has very little uh, in terms of that kind of talent from Calais Campbell to Jalen Ramsey uh, to shoot even Tayshawn Gibson, uh, Paul Pazlesny, Telvin Smith, Pro Bowl year, all those guys. Doesn't have it. It's got a lot of youth, got a lot of question marks, and got, I would say, a lot of solid players. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to characterize Rodney Gunter. I don't think I'd characterize, I, I, I don't want to go over dramatic, and I think he's been a great performer in his career, and nobody would expect this kind of career out of a guy like Avery Jones, but I can't say too much more than, like, he's not on a verge of a Pro Bowl. Yeah. You know, Al Woods, uh, he's got the job done at times in his career, but, eh, you know, I mean, again, I'm not signing him up to go to Pro Bowls left and right. Well, especially if you have Avery Jones, depending. Uh, and, and see, to me, when we break down this defense, it's so hard for me to do that. What I think is going to happen because we don't know. And, and, yeah, we don't and know I understand, but we don't know how they're going to play it. But, like, the, the, that's a big deal for me to use my expertise to be like, all right, here's what I foresee happening. Because you know what? I don't know what you guys are playing. I don't know if you're playing a 4-3. I don't know if you're playing a 3-4. I have no idea what's going on right now. Well, it just depends. They they have basically said to us and said to the rest of the NFL, unless they're just flat out lying, they're not using the two-gap system. So that shows you that they're going to have four guys down. And well, now they're going to mm, now they'll move guys up and back and, yeah. and you know, where they put Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on and maybe a Yannick Ngakwe, who knows. But uh, I, I, I think we have to go with what they've told us. And they're not going through 3-4. Uh, to a true 3-4, you say they're going to a, well, what, 4-3 under? Under, but we have to remember, though, Brent, who's telling us what? Because well, I remember, we heard that from Todd Walsh. He, yeah, but then we had, when, when they drafted you know Chase on, we had Dave Cole come on and say I know. it gives you three four options. I, but so the most what do you want me to recent do? response to that okay. is we, we don't have the two-gap guy to be able to play 3-4. We're not built that way. Okay, but you do, but, though. I mean, you, you do have some guys on that roster that can do that. That's all I'm saying. But once again, so let's just assume right now that we're going to go off last year's kind of defense and maybe add a little wrinkles here or there. Let's, yeah. Is I, that well, what we're going to say? Well, and by the way, I think you have to also approach this kind of topic right here. We're kind of broad viewing it mm-hmm. just as much as we did with the offense yesterday. We don't know what Jay Gruden's going to do. I mean, we think he's going to use Chris Thompson a little bit. We think he's going away from Fournette a little bit. Uh, we think he's going to put the ball in Minshew's hands a little bit. How's yeah. he going to use LaVisca Chanel? I mean, come on, we don't know what he's going to do. We don't really know what it's going to look like. What's their style? Yeah. We have no idea. So, I, like, I get what you're saying because you know that side of the ball, so you can get really super technical and break it down and say, I like this fit, I like that. Yeah. But I just think from a broad overview, we know they're not 2017. Correct. We know they don't have a ton of experience. Uh, and they, we know they really don't have a lot of great players, mm-hmm. a lot so, of upper echelon players that people would take. They don't. So regardless of what kind of scheme they run this year, Brent, you know how I feel about it. And the game is always won and lost in the trenches. Okay, we talk about the Jaguars' offense. How well they do depends on our offensive line and blocking for Gardner Minshew. How well the Jaguars' defense does this year depends solely on their defensive line. I think last year, yes, there were a lot of question marks on that team. There was a lot of, um, you know, underplayed positions and there's a lot of guys that weren't in the right spots but it started with the defensive line i'm reminded of the thing that really first stuck out to me was that carolina panther game when christian mccaffrey just ran wherever he wanted to right and we broke down the defensive line a little bit we broke down linebackers being out of being out of the wrong spots things like that let's go ahead and break it down real quick you lose Calais campbell now Calais campbell um in terms of how well he did last year in the run game 
I don't think it was his best year, but Pro Football Focus says that he was the best defensive lineman against the run. So how much you put into that, whatever, but that, that means something to me, okay? He's gone now. So then you're essentially replacing Calais Campbell, and now you're going to ask you ask Gunter to come in and take a spot, right? Let's be honest. Is Gunter Calais Campbell? Probably not. No. Exactly. So We hope he's half a Calais Campbell. Of course. That would be fantastic, right? Now keep in mind who else you lose. You've lost Marcel Darius, who I've always said has been the unspoken guy on that defensive line. When he got hurt with the, with the abdomen stuff and the, tore off the bone, the core muscle, whatever, um, you saw – you saw that defensive line and their play spiral out of control, okay? And once again, you're talking about a guy in the run game. Well, Marcel Darius was that dependable guy, best first step, I've always said, on that defensive line. He's gone now. So who do you replace him with? Taven Bryan, Brent. In your opinion, is Taven Bryan as good as Marcel Darius right now? Uh, no. Exactly. It's obvious, right? So now you essentially, at least on paper, have downgraded at the two probably most important positions in in terms of stopping the run. Keep in mind where you play right now. You play in the AFC South. You got Marlon Mack. Um, You got Jonathan Taylor now on the Colts. You got, obviously, Derrick Henry, and you got Duke Johnson, and you got David Johnson in Houston. A lot of running is going to be had in the AFC South, so you have to have the guys in order to do that. Do they have it? Big question mark right now. Obviously, in terms of their pass defense, it starts with their pass rush. This is where I'm optimistic, and this is where I like it a lot. You you have Josh Allen, you have maybe a Yannick Ngakwe, and then you have Chase on, a rookie. Okay. Now, once again, I think Gunter is the most important piece here because what made Josh Allen so successful was the fact that people had a game plan for Calais Campbell because he was still on people's radars and far as, as far as defensive coordinators are concerned. I think right now, if you don't have that three technique that can be that difference maker, well, now you start double-teaming the edges, Brent, and now you start chipping a lot. And if you do that, you, you hurt the confidence of your edge rushers, and all of a sudden you start losing productivity. So to me, once again, yeah, I love Josh Allen going forward. You better believe I like Chase on. Great first step. Yannick Ngakwe, we know he's capable of if he does play. But to me, that doesn't mean anything if you don't have the guy in the middle of the three technique to command attention as well. So from the defensive line perspective, there's a lot of question marks right yeah, now. Yeah, there are a lot of question marks. I also don't know if you have a catastrophe at the in the line position. I know it's not as good. It's, you can't argue it's as good. But you also have something that could be really good, and that's your pass rushing room. And that's one of the most critical things that defense can have. I also will say this with a plenty of sunshine and rainbows in my bucket and voice right here. Can the run defense be much worse? Like, I don't care if you put 12, uh, 12, 11 Hall of Famers out there or 11 rookies out there. I don't know if the run defense could be as much of an eyesore as it was last year, at least at times. I mean, you had five games with over 200 yards. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, a pro bowler to make a tackle. Well, if you know where you are. And and yeah. they had more problems. They didn't utilize their talent last year, right, because they were deficient against the run. And that was a bad utilization of who they did have at the time. Even Darius, when he was healthy, even Calais, who, to his own admission, you know, missed a bunch of tackles last year. But I think they had big-time problems at the linebacker spot, and they had big-time problems in the run game. I just can't see a defense, even though they are void of as much stars and talent maybe, having as much trouble against the run as they had last year. I'd be really surprised if they had that kind of trouble. Well, listen, to have that much problems they did last year, I mean, you have to go out of your way to try to mess things up because, I mean, it, it was that bad last year. And, listen, when we talk about the linebacking core, I just talked about defensive line, especially in the middle. You may have downgraded a little bit from last season. 
but obviously at linebacker now, Brent, and that's the most important. I mean, it could be the most important part, obviously, getting guys lined up in their proper position. You bring in Joel Schobert, one of the best guys to do that. You move Miles Jack to his better suited position, and now you're talking about a team with their linebacking core. You like what you see there. Well, that's where I want to go with it, too. Uh, I want to go a little bit concentration on linebackers. I don't think this defense is going to be great. I also think just because they were so bad against the run last year, I don't think they're like the worst defense in the NFL. Hmm. I think they're a middle-of-the-pack defense with a ceiling that probably is like as high as top uh, like 10, 11, 12. It doesn't have a ceiling of a top 10 defense, in my opinion. But I also don't think it has a floor of being like 30th. Like it was last year. I, I don't. I, I think they're, they they plugged some holes enough to be at least solid. But they're not going to be exciting or great either. A little bit more on the defense. Plus, which position group will suffer the most from all this stuff happening with COVID-19? On the offensive side and the defensive side. It's in the 5 o'clock hour. It's next on ESPN 690. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.